Good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Isn't God good? Hold on a second. That didn't sound like we meant it. Let's try this again. Isn't God good? Yes. Go ahead and do this. Turn to the person next to you and say, I tried to tell you. I almost messed that up. Let's try that again. I tried to tell you. God is really good. Because here's the deal. I've been a part of church. I'm talking about this in a second. I've been a part of churches for better part of, like on staff at churches for, for the better part of, not quite, but the better part of 20 years. And, and I've never heard of ever before at a church in a setting like this where there's like a matching challenge type of thing to say, hey, we want to do this. And last year we had this towards the Vision 2020 thing. And, and then this week we had a phone call out of the blue, someone who wasn't a part of that, who had no idea about that, that said, man, I was just really moved by what happened with Trash Mountain Project. And, and they asked a series of pointed questions to find out, hey, first time there, I didn't know anything about this, but, but tell me about a little bit about the people and the people you work with and all that stuff. And it was just this really cool story to say, man, it is crazy to think about this. And for every one of us, this is part of, part of who we are. If we're a child of God this morning, if we're a true follower of Jesus, we are invited by him. He has this great story, this, this narrative that's playing out in our world, and it's his narrative. And somewhere along the line, he invites us to be a part of it. And, and sometimes, most of the time, it's very, in, in very small and inconsequential ways. But I sit back and I say, God, you're, in, you're the master in charge of this great picture and you're allowing us to play a part in that. And, and so I heard that, and, and literally, I don't have time to share the whole story. I'm sure at some point we will. But this morning, I, we kind of shared the information with Trash Mountain Project. And Brett's actually away on a vacation this week. And he called me up at about 8.45. We had like 15 minutes to go. He's like, JJ, i got to share with you how that's already impacting some things that we we're trying to do with Pasajoni and Honduras. And it was this crazy story. And I think, man, God, you had this whole thing worked out way before we had any idea that this was going to happen. And this is crazy that we're invited to be part of this story. And, and it's neat because we, we have this story that's being played out. And last week was one of my favorite weeks, uh, really, so far this year. Favorite Sunday so far this year. Uh, because how many were here second service last week? How many all said it was really cold first service, and so I slept in and went to second service? If you weren't, maybe you saw this on Facebook, but not only was Trash Mountain Project here, some of y'all might have been wondering why Kyle was up here hosting for like the first time ever. Normally he's back behind the guitar. Well, in the second service, he actually called his girlfriend up here on stage and proposed to her. And it's, yeah, that was the reaction of the crowd on Sunday morning. Let me tell you something. And it's a good thing she said yes, because otherwise the rest of the service would have been awkward. Uh, but it's this really cool thing, and, and we love sharing Trash Mountain Project's story, and we've had a chance to partner with them for going on seven years now. And it's really cool. But the thing that I love about it is that it gives us as, as human beings, it gives us as a church a chance to say, hey, here's what the church is supposed to be about. Because if we were just to go out on the street today, and if we were just to ask the average person that doesn't go to church, that has no idea about church, hey, what do you think about the church, maybe in modern-day United States or even the world right now, what do you think about the church? I'm not sure that the response that we would get from people that are, that are, in, that are, that are outside the church would be, yeah, I, I understand the church has a mission and that the church is trying to embrace that mission. I'm not sure the average person gets that. I think especially, and, and how many of you are already like sick and tired of the political cycle already? Like it really just begins tomorrow. And already, like I'm seeing all these people and it's getting really political and you see all these even, even churches and pastors that are weighing in on this whole thing. And, and, and I think a lot of times people see all of that and, and say, Man, that's, that's it. Like I don't like this candidate. Now this church is supporting this candidate and it kind of makes me all sick of the whole thing. And we say, wait a minute, that's never part of the mission. We have a mission that's in front of us. And here's my concern, is that as I, as I read the account of the New Testament, as I read in the book of Acts what is happening in early church, 
uh, we see here's these early followers of Jesus, some of them even the disciples of Jesus. And they have seen him live this sinless life and, and perform miracles and raise people from the dead and, and, and heal people. And, and he teaches with power and authority. And then he himself dies and he rises again and he sends them out with a mission. And as he does that, the early church starts to embrace the mission. Now, they're not perfect. They have their flaws too. But they start to embrace the mission and they start to change the world. Why? Because at that point, they had nothing left to lose. Like, man, we, we, we're, our backs are against the wall. We have to do something. Let's go do this. And whenever you see someone who's, who's caged, who's cornered in a corner, they're sometimes the most dangerous people. Or if you corner an animal, they can be the most dangerous animal. Because at some point they say, we got nothing to lose. Let's go out fighting. Well, the early in church embraced that mission. And I'm afraid that we've gotten so far removed from that. I think especially in, in the United States, we've gotten comfortable. And instead of the church living like the early New Testament church was living, the church should be known for being fearless. But instead, we want to live safe. The church should be known for being alive. And yet often it's known as being stale and being dead. And the church should be known for love. And yet often in the world, I'm not saying this is how it always is, but often in the world the impression is that we are not full of love, but instead we're full of hate and anger And we're not exactly living out the words, the teaching, and the message that Jesus had for us. And it's really easy for me, it's really easy for you to say, but but that's not us. Like, that has to be somebody else. And I can point my finger and say, well, look at them, look at what they're doing, and look at that individual over there. And it's really easy for me to say, they're the problem, they're the fault, and it's that church, what they're doing, and, and they're out there protesting, and they're making all these political statements, but that's not us. And I can look at everybody else and say, they're the problem. But then I look at the teaching of Jesus, and I compare it to my own life. And I say, maybe they're not the entire problem. But maybe it begins right here. Maybe it begins with, with you and me that if we just said, instead of pointing a finger and saying they're the problem, we start to say, wait a minute, there's a mission that we have. That a mission that has been dictated by God for us. And we're not exactly fulfilling that mission to the best of our ability. So instead of me pointing my finger and blaming somebody else and saying, it's just how it is, it's how culture is going to be, I say, what about me? What can I do to be able to embrace that mission? To be able to do that myself? You see, here's the thing. I, I love, like, if, if I get stressed out or if I just kind of get tired, one of the things I love to do to relax is just to, to cook. How many people really like to just cook and try out different recipes? There's a few people. I love, man, I, I love just kind of getting away. And, and, and what I really love about it is I'll find a recipe that's really obscure, something I've never even thought about making before, and I'll just try my best at figuring out how to make that and, and bring the spices in. And, and I love the whole experience. I love the aromas and I love the, the new taste and all those things. I love that. Uh, but if anybody gets really good, they figure out the things that really work for them, and they have these secret sauces and these secret spices, and, 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 and they, they have these different things that they do over and over because they know what they're doing. And they have, well, ultimately when it comes down to it, they have their secret sauce. Well, today I want to talk to you because I've been doing this for a while. Like I said, I've been on staff at a church for almost half my life, almost 20 years that I've been on staff at churches in different roles, but I've been on staff at churches. And here's what I've seen over and over, because we're talking today about embracing the mission, and we're going to have a pivotal statement. If you haven't gotten it, it's right here. You can't do life alone. This is our pivotal statement for the day. The band had the t-shirts on. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But we have this pivotal statement about what we're trying to accomplish. And, and if I were to look at over 20 years 
I've seen some really good people. Man, it seemed like they had it all together spiritually. And I saw that over the years they kept growing and they kept having this, their, their faith had a vitality to it. And if, if I were to look at everybody that I'd fit in that category, they were solid individuals, but they kept on growing in their faith. For every single one of them, they had this one particular, this secret ingredient in common. So there's two secrets I have this morning. One is that after 20 years, I think I figured it out. You see, for every person that has it all together, it seems like, man, they're really growing, and it's consistent growth over a period of years and even decades. For every person, I've seen people, and they're good people, like really good people, high-integrity people, and, and, and it seems like, man, they get plugged into church, and, and, and they're growing, and there's this life cycle in their life, and, and it seems like there's growth and there's change. But then I see some of them that just kind of walk away. They, they just, man, they're, they're in it, they're, they're embracing the mission, they're chasing after the mission, and then all of a sudden, one day, it seems like to everybody else, it seems like, man, they were, they were here, they're part of the mission, whatever happened to that person? When I started to, to just observe people and see that happen, what I saw is that for every one of them that I saw that did that, good people, there's nothing wrong with them, but either they missed out on one key ingredient, the secret sauce we're talking about this morning, or they had it, but at some point they just kind of stopped focusing on it and they went to try other things out. And they lost that secret ingredient. And because of that, their growth stagnated and they started to struggle. And eventually they just walked away and it became much easier to walk away. So the first secret is I think I figured out what the secret sauce is. If we're looking for spiritual growth, if we're looking for what is the one biggest indicator for sustained spiritual growth in people's lives, I think this is it today. And here's the other secret. It's not really a secret. <laughs> it's not really a secret. You see, God had said early on and throughout Scripture, I could pull out today, I could pull out Scripture after Scripture, I could just read the Bible over and over, and we could be here till noon just reading different Scripture that have to do with this one particular topic. And we wouldn't get through all of them because God has said from the very beginning, this is really important. Today we're talking about this idea of community. Now there's two types of community that we often talk about. One is organic community. Community that just kind of happens. I will say this as we get into this. Any type of relationships, they all take work. It just is when it's organic, it just kind of happens. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like work so much. When, when our family and I, when we first moved to Polk County, I probably could have counted on my hand the number of people that I knew that lived in Polk County. Like, we moved here, we were kind of fresh, didn't know a lot of people. I could count on one hand the number of people that I knew, and I would have had fingers left over. Like, we knew almost nobody. But right away, something started to happen. Right away, community started to happen because we realized something. We realized this statement, you can't do life alone. Everybody say that with me. You can't do life alone. Once I started realizing, man, you can't do life alone, when we moved to Polk County and I said, we're going out now, we have each other, but we can't really do life alone, the first thing we have to do is find a community of people that we can connect with. And organically, we had right away some people helping us move, and the community started to happen, and we started to, to organically build up. It still took time, and it still took work. But organically, some of those relationships started to happen. And let me say this. We have these t-shirts. We, I have the hoodie on today. And the statement, the big statement today is you can't do life alone. And we're going to keep kind of drilling down on that point. But, but on the other side of that, let me say this. It's also a little bit of a lie. 
you can do life alone, but if you do life alone, I don't mean to be crass about this, but if you try to do life alone, you're going to suck at it. And, I, and I'm not, I'm trying, I don't want to be crass about it or mean, but, but the point being that God wired every one of us to be part of community. Now, because of hurt, because of breakdown, because, because of people that have affected us, Sometimes we say the hurt and the barriers and the walls are there. And so community for some people is harder than others. I get that. And so because of that, some people say, I don't want community. But the truth is, God wired us for community. And in fact, God said, in, in fact, when he said he hardwired us for community, it's because he lives in constant community. We have in the Godhead, we have the Trinity, the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when they go to create man, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit go to create man... They say to each other, let us, community, make man in our image. As we live in community, it's essential for man to live in community. And so some of us, because of past hurt, because of past pain, we put this wall up and say, well, I don't really need people in my life. And and I understand where that comes from. I understand the hurt and the pain, and, and you don't want to go through that again. But I'm telling you, wherever you are at, God hardwired you for community. We're supposed to live in community with each other. That's the, that's the way he, he designed us, and that's the way we are most effective. So on one side, we had organic community, community that just kind of happens. The other side of community is, is, is a forced community. You're kind of put into a situation where you didn't get to pick the people you hang out with. Uh, by the way, your family is forced community for the most part. You didn't get to pick your family, and some of you are like, I wish I got to pick my family. I get that. But we didn't get a chance to pick our family for the most part. God places us in the family. A lot of times we're put in the workforce. Uh, we're not, you, we don't get to pick, hey, I want to work with that team on a job site. We're just said, hey, the boss says, here's the team you're working with, or, or here's the department you're going to work in, and here's your coworkers. And a lot of times we have no say over that. Well, a couple of years ago, I'd been a youth pastor here at Ridgepoint for a long time, and we had our high school group that met at our house, and we loved that element. And then we were switching positions, and so basically what happened at that point was as we made the transition, uh, the staff got together and said, hey, here's, here's the group you're going to go into. And, and the truth was the, the RPC group that I joined at that point, I knew most of the people in there a little bit. I didn't know them very well. Like when we first got started, I, I didn't really know them very well at all. But in a short order, in a short amount of time, meeting together on a regular basis, those people who I didn't know very well started to become my very closest friends, the people that I was doing life with. Why? Because we're not wired to do life alone. And when we start to connect with people, especially on a consistent basis, when we start to share life joys and struggles and all those things, we start to understand, man, this is exactly what we need in our life. And I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes it's rather difficult. But over and over throughout Scripture, we see this idea that's taught. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament. We're going to start off there. Again, I could read Scripture after Scripture. We're not going to do that this morning. We're going to look at three spots. We're going to start off in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, the words can appear on the screen. We're reading from a different translation this morning in, in the, new, uh, the New Living Translation. I love how it words this. And there's some great points we can pull from Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. So if you would, read with me. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it begins with this. Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. When we start to work together, and we get this idea, not just of community, we'll get there in a second, but when we start to just accomplish this, two people can accomplish more than twice as much as, as one. So when we start to work together, 
When we start to try to figure this out, if I'm on a job site, if I'm starting to work, there's a principle that we see that we can see a greater return when we work together. There were some farmers who was testing this out, and they started to discover that when they yoked uh, their livestock together, maybe when they yoked their oxen together, that, that one of, of, of those animals could pull a certain amount. But when you yoke two or three together, they pull together together more than the sum of their individual parts. And it's this amazing thing that we start to see that when we start to work together, there is greater productivity. I love when we have different teams that meet to talk about different ideas as, as a church. If I sit in my office and I try to figure this thing out on myself, and, and maybe we're tr- trying to meet with some creative ideas, and I try to be creative on my own, it doesn't work. But we sit down with five or six individuals, and we start to have discussion, and there starts to be greater productivity. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, is writing, he says, two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one, that there can be greater productivity. When I first joined the workforce, the first real job I had was to work for this small organization called Publix, which is kind of all over the place. But uh, I started working at one of the stores at Publix, and I had a really good job, and and I was kind of climbing up the ladder to do some different things in our particular store. And, and as I was working for Publix, eventually I got on, on board as, as one of the uh, stockmen who stock in an individual area. And there were two of us that worked every, or not every night, but about four nights a week. Uh, he had one area and I had the other, but we kind of worked together. And we started to discover that when, when instead of I focused on my area and he focused on his, when we worked together and we kind of helped each other out, that we were much more effective. And the managers started to see this. And they said, we don't care. As long as you guys get your work done, we don't care how you do it. And so we'd make a, a giant list of everything in my area, and we go fill all of that. And we make a giant list of everything that was in his area, and we go fill all of that. And we started to discover we were more effective, and we enjoyed work a whole lot more when we worked together. Solomon, thousands of years before that, was saying the very same thing. Listen, we're more productive when we work together. So there's two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a better return for their labor. We get a greater productivity out of ourselves. We also get a greater return, the product of that. Not only are we becoming more active and more productive ourselves, but the, but the product that comes out of it, we're getting better return for the labor that we're putting in. So we have greater productivity. We have greater return. We also have greater security. We pick up from there, and it says this. If one person falls... The other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. Recently, we've been doing a remodel on our bathroom. And, and I was up there, and I was, I was trying to wire some new lights up there. And I found out the electricity didn't work quite as, as well as we wanted it to. And I had to run some different wires. And, and my wife was really unsure that I was the person that should be doing that. Like, she was really unsure. JJ, are you sure about this one? And, and she got really scared. Because at one point, I'm like, she was out getting groceries and stuff. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to real quick run the wires and everything. She's like, JJ, there's no one home. Like if something happens, no one's going to know about it. There's greater security when we're working together with people because if one person falls, then the other person is going to be there to help them. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. And then it says this, but people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. If I'd have fallen, I'd have been in real trouble. Because uh, not only was I wiring stuff, I was up on a counter, so it would have really hurt. And then it says this, and on a cold night, two under the same blanket can gain warmth from each other. But how can one be alone? Be warm alone? A person standing, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, 
but two standing together, standing back to back. Um, I'm sorry, but two can stand back to back and conquer. So it says there's greater uh, return because there's greater productivity, there's greater return, and there's greater security. And the final thing is this, those four things, and the final one is this, there's a greater benefit. Because it says not only are two better than one, but the very last part of this section says three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. How many have ever gone like bungee jumping or, or one of these giant swings where you swing down? Like it's a crazy thing. I want to make sure that that, that cord is tested for the weight that I carry. I want to make sure that's true. And, and the thicker the cord, the more triple braid that cord is, the more I'm going to feel confident in that. A lot of times we use this verse. I've seen this used in wedding ceremonies before where they try to braid th- three cords together and they say that this is symbolic of the husband, the wife, and, and God. And there's, there's an analogy that's there, but that's not what this is teaching. This is really just teaching generally in life that if we are living community, we are stronger because of that community. And so when we start to get this idea that when I work, when I'm trying to figure this thing out, there is value in community. There's a value of having real friends. So how does that start to work itself out when it comes to our lives, when when we start to engage in church? Because we want there to be sustained spiritual growth. That's our desire for for individuals when they come into Ridgepoint Church. We want there to be this sustained spiritual growth. And what happens often is we fall into one of two extremes when it comes to our relationships. And either one of these can be really damaging. And yet I think almost everyone that starts going to church falls into one of these two extremes. And I think, I think I'd even be guilty of this. The first extreme is we have people who, and especially a church, the Ridgepoint Church, our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Christ, but to do so in a setting where we're going to be a church unchurched people love to attend. And so because of that, man, the last couple of weeks, especially in the second service, we have had, we normally have a lot of visitors. We've had a lot of visitors in the second service for the last couple of weeks. And, and what happens is a lot of times I, I can almost see people that, man, they're really starting to buy in. They're starting to, to grow. And, and, and they start to get connected to church. And they like it. They like what it means for their family. And, and there's growth. And they're really happy. And, and sometimes, man, they say, I give my life to Christ. I want to get baptized. But what happens is they never really change the people they're hanging out with. They kind of keep doing what they're doing before. They just add church into all of that and think, okay, somehow this is all going to work out. The problem is they didn't grow up going to church, and some of the people they hung out with in high school are people that probably shouldn't be the main influences in their life. And so they start going to church, and they, and they start to get involved, and, and they really like it, but then soon the pull comes, and, and maybe they even get pulled into some, making some of those bad choices, and their circle of influence hasn't changed at all. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon also writing says, as, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So what happens when we really start to give our life to Christ is we want to make sure that the community, the main influences in our life, that they start to be people who are going to push us towards some sort of spiritual growth. The people that we do life with, if we can't do life alone, the people we do life with are going to be the greatest measure of our effectiveness as a believer. If I want to get healthy spiritually, I need to learn to surround myself with people who are going to help me get there. A couple of weeks ago, um, right after the second service, I had some, some friends that came up to me. and like, They made a beeline after the service. They said, JJ, we got a challenge for you. I'm like, oh, what's this? Like, I'm the only one giving challenges. What is this about? 
and they said, they work out at a particular gym, and they have this 28-day challenge, and they said, we want you to join us for this 28-day challenge. I said, okay, I'll do it. And I kind of asked the details. I said, okay, I'll do this. And, and, and the thing that I, I loved about this was that when you go there, there's, there's accountability. That when you go there, there's, there's people that are watching out saying, hey, if you want to get more healthy, you surround yourself with people that are going to push you to be more physically healthy. Well, if we want to become more spiritually healthy, the only way we do that is by surrounding people that are going to make us, challenge us to be more spiritually healthy. So on one side, people often err that they don't surround themselves with believers who are going to push them towards godliness and try to do the right thing. But on the other side, the other danger, is there are some people, probably more people, that come to church, they give their lives to Jesus, they get really excited, and pretty soon the only people they hang out with are people that go to church. And it seems like, well, that's a good thing. It's going to help me grow. Like, I'm surrounding myself only with believers, and it's going to, it's going to help me be where I'm going to be. And for a short time, that might be effective. But if surrounding myself with, with people that aren't believers makes me lose my effectiveness, surrounding myself only with believers makes me lose my witness. And part of my growth as a disciple of Jesus, Jesus loved going out to people who are far from him. And sharing the news of what he was doing and what he's about to do. And part of our growth and part of our discipleship is to say, we can't live in a holy huddle. We can't kind of circle up and say, hey, we love each other, because we do. But if we do just that, we limit our witness in the world around us. So we have to do both those things. We have to build up this idea of community. We have to challenge each other, equip each other for growth. But then we also have to reach out to the community around us because community does three things. If you're taking notes, write these three three downs and we'll finish up with this. Three things that happen. True community, the first thing true community does is true community offers support. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When Jesus is, is asked, what's the most important command? He says, there's two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so here Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be, be there for each other. We're supposed to be there to bear each other's burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Because true community offers support for the individual. Now, personally speaking, I love being on the other side. I love, I love being the one offering support and giving support. I love to be part of those stories and to see those stories played out. But when we start to lean on community, when we start to realize why community is there, what that means is that when other people have joys and we're living in community, we rejoice with them. When other people hurt, we cry with them. When other people need a hand up, we're there to bear their burdens. Short time, I was, after I was kind of put in this community, put in this family group for the first time, a group that we traveled with for two years, we started to experience life with them. And for us, that meant that we got to celebrate a couple of adoptions that happened in that group during that season. We got to go through people in the group that got sick and needed some urgent prayer. We got to deal with people in the group that had family members that got sick and even passed away in that season. And when you do life together, you offer support for each other. And the way I'm wired, I love to be on the giving side of that. But during that season, we also were on the receiving side. And I can't tell you how important community was at that point. You see, some of, us were, some of you were here at that point. And you know, it was about that time, about two years ago, the, in the next couple of weeks, that we started preparing ourselves for the birth of our son that we were about to adopt. And, and we knew that Zach was going to need a little bit more time in the hospital, but we weren't aware of how much. 
until he was actually born. And he's born in St. Pete, and they said, oh, by the way, he's probably going to be here in the NICU at All Children's Hospital for the better part of six weeks. And by the end of time, it was. It was 43 days. And what that meant for us was for 43 days, Beth and I would travel over every morning, and we'd, we'd spend the day in, in St. Pete at All Children's Hospital, and then travel back late at night. And there were two things that were really uh, left an impression upon us where we really started to understand what community was all about. First of all, the week that Zach was born, I believe if memory serves me correctly, it was the week of our very first block party here at Ridgepoint Church. And so that particular Sunday, Beth said, hey, you stay here, you be there for the block party, I'll go over and I'll spend the day with Zach. And so Beth was in St. Pete and, and I was here, and we we're starting to figure out, because we hadn't been told it was going to be like this, now it's six weeks in the NICU, and, and so we're trying to figure out how all this is going to work still. And, and by the time we figure this out, traveling over every day, we figured out we probably spent close to $1,000 just in gas going back and forth to St. Pete. So that first Sunday that I was here, I was at the block party. And I remember who it was. There were two people that morning that came up, and we hadn't even shared the story yet because it was all fresh with us. But two people came up to me that morning, two people that I probably wouldn't have expected to be the people to do this first thing. But they came up right away, and they said, hey, so what's going on with Zach? How's it going? And I shared the story. And I had two people that first morning come up and say, hey, we know it's going to be traveling a lot back and forth. Uh, we got a, a gift card from Racetrack we want to give to you. And literally throughout that whole journey, I think we filled up our gas every couple days. And we probably had to do that twice ourselves because of the community gathering together. True community offers support. In addition, we had our grown kids who could kind of take care of themselves back here, but not fully. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, every, almost every night, man, we had a community of people that just got together and said, hey, we're going to provide meals to make sure your older kids are taken care of. And so they drop off more food than my kids could eat. And we'd come home at 9 o'clock or 9.30 at night. There'd be dinner for us as well. True community offers support. The thing is, we love that side of community. If that's how it always was, we'd always love community. But these are going to get more challenging as we go because true community, first of all, true community offers support. But the second thing is true community encourages accountability. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. True community encourages accountability in our life. It is when we get to the point of saying, I'm going to knock down walls in my life, and I'm going to trust people, I'm going to invite them in, because I need, and you need, and every one of us needs people in our life who are going to challenge us and equip us and hold us accountable. People who are going to ask the tough questions. And here's a simple lesson that we have to learn. We can't invite everyone in to do that. That'd be really damaging. If I asked everyone here, hey, I want all of you to hold me accountable, and I want everyone to speak truth in my life, it would be physically and spiritually exhausting. We can't, no one can invite everybody in, but everybody needs to invite someone in. True community invites and encourages accountability. True community says, I need people in my life who I give permission that when I'm struggling, when I'm making poor decisions, that I'm going to trust those people to say, hey, I want you to speak truth into my life, to let me know what I'm doing wrong, to let me know when I need to be encouraged to do something better than I'm doing right now. So true community offers support, true community encourages accountability, and the last one, probably the toughest, true community embraces vulnerability. Vulnerability and transparency is, is hard. And probably the reason why most of us do not engage in community is because of this. 
You see, for most of us, in fact, I would say for every one of us, we've been hurt in the past. In fact, if we went through our teenage years at all, I can almost guarantee you we were hurt in the past. And so what happens is, is for most of us, because we've been hurt in the past, we say, the pain isn't worth it. I trusted this person, I trusted this relationship, and it really hurt. And because it hurt, I'm not going to allow people past a certain point in, in this wall of vulnerability in my life. I'm not going to allow people past that because I've been hurt too much in the past, and I don't want to go through that again. And so we put this wall up, and when people ask us how are things going, we say, it's fine. I'm doing okay. Why? Because I don't want to be vulnerable. And listen, we should not be vulnerable with everybody. We don't need to be going and putting our emotions all over Facebook. We do have to invite certain people in to invite a certain level of vulnerability because for every one of, we, for every one of us, we hold on to one of two things. We either embrace a wall, and when people get this, all they see is the wall, or we embrace relationships. Vulnerability happens when those walls go down and relationships go up. Vulnerability happens when I realize, yes, I've been hurt in the past. And yes, that pain of that hurt really, really affected me. But at some point, if I'm going to be as effective as I can be today, if I'm really going to be all that I can be, I have to realize that those past hurts and those past pains, they don't define me. And I have to learn forgiveness, and I have to learn a process of, of working through forgiveness in my life so that I can now do relationships right right now. Because for some of you, your relationship with your husband or your wife isn't as effective as it could be right now because of a past hurt that you said, I'm not going to allow them past a certain point because that past hurt is still affecting me. And we say the wall is more important than a relationship. Vulnerability happens when the wall goes down and relationships go up. And so I say, at some point, I know this wall in my life is a problem. I know that I hide behind. I'm not emotional. and, And the problem is, for a lot of us, we've been so hurt in the past, we don't even allow ourselves past that wall. We lie to ourselves. Say, everything's okay. I'm okay. I don't I don't need that stuff. I don't need relationships. That 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 all does, people just mess you up, man. I don't I don't need that stuff. And God says, no, people do make mistakes, but that's where there's grace and there's forgiveness. Because I've modeled for you what relationship is supposed to be when I sent my son to die, to give you forgiveness. And he models that relationship for us, and he says, this is healthiness. This is how things are supposed to be. And so I'm not saying it's easy. And some hurts are more powerful than others, and some take a lot longer to heal from. But I am saying if we're going to be most effective as children of God, as believers, and if we're going to be most effective as a church, there's only one way it happens. Because I've seen people journey, like I said, man, they're really good people. They seem to have it all together, and there's growth. But as soon as they get isolated from the church... As soon as they get isolated, not just from the church building, but the church, the people. As soon as we start to isolate ourselves, that's where our effectiveness is is waning. That's where our effectiveness is going away. And at some point when we isolate ourselves from the church, we start to fall away ourselves. It might last for a little bit, but it doesn't last very long. True community offers support. True community encourages accountability. True community embraces vulnerability. 
And the seat back's in front of you. There should be one of these cards. It's a partnership card. We said the last couple weeks, the last two weeks of the series, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. If you have one of those cards in front of you, go ahead and, and pull it out, because I want to go over one thing real quick. On the front, it's just a place to fill out information. And, and by the way, some of you right now, you know that you're ready. Maybe you already filled this card out. That's awesome. Bring it with you next week. Next week, as we wrap up the series, we're going to wrap up the series in a big way. I'd encourage you. I don't know, I don't know what other plans you have. Whatever they are, cancel them. Be here next week as we wrap up the series. But on the back of the card, hold on to the card. If you haven't already prayed about it, pray about it. If you have, fill it out. Hold on to it for next week. But on the back of the card, it says, here's the three things. You see, what do you hear at Rich Point Church is, is we don't do church membership. Um, there's lots of reasons for that. Membership kind of denotes privilege. And sometimes people join a church, they're members for years, and they haven't been a church almost since the day they joined the church and they're members uh, still. So we don't, do, we don't do membership. We do partnership, which is a one-year commitment. Say, man, I want to partner with Rich Point Church this year in three particular areas. Next week, we'll talk about areas two and three, but today I want to focus on that first box. And by the way, uh, if, if we're partnering with Rich Point Church, we don't, get, we don't pick and choose. Okay, well, I like one and three, but I'm not doing two. It's saying I'm, I'm partnering with Rich Point Church on these areas. We'll talk about two and three next week, but number one says this. I will regularly attend services at RPC and be involved in an RPC group so I can learn to apply the principles of the Bible, grow in my faith, and receive support in times of need. And I'll encourage others, especially the unchurched, to do the same. Now, there's a whole lot. That's one thing, but there's a whole lot in that. It's talking about regularly coming to church. It's talking about inviting people to church, especially people that are unchurched. But right in the middle, it says, and also be involved in an RPC group. Here's the deal. I love organic community. I love people that are just, man, we came to Polk County, we started hanging out. I love how that happens, but I also have grown to become very fond of, of kind of forced community. When I put in a group of people that I, that I didn't know at all, starting this whole thing out, and we start a journey together. Some of you that get in a group, you know, I see smiles in your face, and you think about what the journey's meant for your group. And there's that forced community that, that I'll be honest with you, it's awkward at first. And it takes kind of pushing through and, and getting through that awkwardness. And ultimately, at some point, that wall of vulnerability starts to be dropped a little bit. Discussion starts to get a little bit deeper. And, and so as we talk about this this week, as we talk about RPC partnership, we're also in just a second going to wrap up the service by talking about RPC groups. I can't say this enough, that when I just see, not just what I've seen over 20 years, but as I see this last seven years, people who really engage with the overall mission of what Rich Point Church is about, is ultimately people say, I know there's a process of discipleship. And Sunday mornings is really important. But just as important to that discipleship process is the RPC groups, what we're trying to accomplish in that. So as we wrap up in just a second, I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us in one more song, and Chris is going to wrap up talking about groups. I'd really encourage you, if you're looking for that next step when it comes to growth, if you're not in a group, he's going to explain how you can join a group. Let's pray. Father, we, we again thank you for being tremendously grace, gracious to us. God, you've given us way more than we could ever uh, deserve or even ask for. God, your grace has been so profound in our life. You've loved us with this extravagant love. And God, you've tried to teach us to be just as extravagant uh, to the world around us. And God, I know those moments when I'm weak, those moments when I feel frail, it's the people in my life that, that, are, that are there to be my support system to encourage me to hold me accountable, to allow me to be vulnerable. God, those, those relationships help us all get through. And so, God, I pray for the person, first of all, today, 
uh, who's put up such a wall in their life that they don't want to be vulnerable. They've not even been vulnerable to you. God, I pray today is a day in their life that they have a breakthrough. Whatever hurt or pain has been established in their life that has blocked off relationships, God, it might have even blocked off a relationship with you. And because of that, right now, God, they're not living. God, I pray whatever it is, that hurt and that pain, God, I pray that you empower them to be able to get past that and have a breakthrough in their life. God, they can have a real relationship with you, a relationship that is, is free and is flourishing. And God, maybe we can have relationships with people around us and look for those good, wholesome relationships to lift us up, not to tear us down. And then, God, we invite that type of openness and that type of uh, strong biblical relationship into our life. God, I pray that for us. We have some ambitions this year as a church, some things we want to accomplish, some people we want to reach. But God, it only happens when we partner together to make a difference in our area. God, teach us to do relationships well. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.